Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, my name is Jim Kane. I am currently sentenced to life without parole. Full Department Corrections and Overturbing Correctional Institution for the murder of Geraldine Cillo. It is a murder that I did not commit. This is Millionaire Murder, part four. And you can follow along on the website, millionairemurder.com. That's where you'll find all the photographs of the crime scene, the victim, all the information from the police report, and they have uh, palm prints there that you can do your own research on. Maybe we'll have somebody who's a professional actually do a modern-day comparison between the palm print found at the scene and Kim Kane's actual palm print that he gave to the Palm Beach police. That would be amazing. I I want you to help. I want you to give me all the information that you can dig up and we'll crowdsource this thing together to try to get justice for Kim Kane, a man who's been behind bars for 21 years plus for the murder of Geraldine Puccillo. So go to millionairemurder.com for that. And I've been asked a lot of times, hey, is this it? Uh, Part four, part five, you said that might be the end of it. We're way past that now. That's kind of thrown out the window. There's so much of this story to tell and so many twists and turns that we haven't even yet gotten near that this is going to go on either until we get justice for Kim Kane or we run into a brick wall. Both of them, those are possibilities, but we'll get there when we get there. And we have a lot more of the story to tell. A quick recap for those of you who are just jumping on board. This millionaire murder is the story of the murder of Geraldine Puccillo. She was a millionaire who lived on Palm Beach, but came from nothing, really. She was an immigrant, an amazing person by anybody's expectations. And she and her husband had a very successful restaurant there on Palm Beach that she ended up selling for millions of dollars. Uh, She had a, a family that seemed to be kind of rallied around her, and she was headed into her 70s after her husband had died happy with a very busy and active life. That is, until June 13th, 1996, when after she didn't show up at the front door to be picked up for a dinner with her friends, her friends kind of panicked. They called her son, Michael Puccillo, and raised some red flags here, like, hey, something's happening. Michael Puccillo goes over, and you know how bizarre his story is at this point in time, and it only gets more odd from here. But finally, he enters the house and dials 911 after discovering his mother uh, tied up with a phone cord on the floor of the shower, and she died that day on June 13th, 1996. A lot of media attention given to this story, and that is because it happened in the wake of the O.J. Simpson case. We ended the last episode uh, telling you about somebody new walking into the picture here, a man who I I don't want to necessarily say he's homeless, Because he's always lived off of settlement money. He sued checkers for getting beat up in the parking lot. And he had 
a place at like an extended stay motel, one of those just one room apartments. And he stayed there. So it wasn't necessarily homeless, but kind of homeless. So that guy befriended Kim Kane because they both went to the dog track together. He was running out of his checkers money. And it just so happens that he saw this sign about jewelry and the murder of Geraldine Puccillo, at which point he goes, yeah, Kim Kane did it. So we go from there uh, to the arrest of Kim Kane at the end of part three. And let's check back in with the family because I've talked quite a bit with the different members of the family about that exact moment, the moment when Kim was arrested and sent off to jail. And I got to tell you, all the way to the very end, they thought this is uh, nonsense and this is never, he's never going to spend any significant time in jail. There's no way he did this. But Carrie Kane, his daughter, even though she was just a teenager, she knew in the days before her father's arrest that something was up. She knew that the police must be following her. Just something weird was going on. Here's Carrie. All Dad said was, uh, Grandma and I picked up the phone at the same time. They had no idea I was on the line. And I heard my father say, hey, Mom, it's me. We've made it to Atlanta. Nobody is following us. And she goes, okay, check in with me later. I love you. Goodbye. That was it. Now, you're obviously wondering what the hell are they talking about? <laughs> why, why are they worried about somebody following them? Yes. Did you say anything about it or did you just keep quiet? I That was Friday night. I did not say anything about it until Sunday night when my grandmother was taking me to my aunt's house to where my father was going to be picking me up the following morning. You must have been kind of stewing with that, though, right? Oh, I immediately called my mother in Tennessee. Did you think, did you think oh, it's something simple, or did you have a gut reaction, a feeling that it was something bad? Well, at 13, you really don't know as much as what you do now when you're in your 30s. Um, but when I asked my grandmother about it, she said, don't worry about it. Your father's going to talk to you about it tomorrow after he picks you up. So I just kind of dismissed it with her. And then, like I said, once I got to my aunt's house, I called my mother immediately. And I said, something's going on. And my mom's like, don't freak out. Let's mm-hmm. just wait and see and call me tomorrow after you talk to your dad. So Carrie picked up the phone and she hears her dad saying, I just got to Atlanta. Nobody followed us. And this is weird. What's happening here? What's going on with my dad? And why would the police be following him? She's kind of cluing into this happening, and she ends up telling her mom, and you also heard her mention uh, Kim's mom. Kim's mom is Kitty Kane. You've heard a little bit from her already. But here she is talking about the moment that she learned that her son had been arrested for the murder of Geraldine Puccillo. And this is very bizarre because Kitty Kane was excited and relieved to hear that there was an arrest in this case. She said, oh, good, now they'll leave Kim alone I'm I'm uh, so relieved to hear that they've made an arrest until she saw that it was her son. And even I was shocked the night that it came on TV that they had uh, they had this suspect on this murder case, and they sort of sort of flashed a fuzzy picture of him on the TV. Yeah, I almost had a heart attack because the, when I first heard that, I was I was excited because they'd finally caught the fella, mm-hmm. and then when they they just fast flashed a, a fuzzy picture like of Kim, but I realized it was him. Almost had a heart attack. Almost so, had a heart attack. I could not believe what my eyes were seeing. So she's relieved, and then she says, oh, no, that's actually my son that's been arrested for this, and he's now going to be the center of all this media coverage. And think about that for a second, what it would be like if all of a sudden there's this huge case 
who did it. The public is so angry at the inept police department who isn't making any progress, hasn't made any arrests on this. Everybody's so scared that they're going to be next on this untouchable island of rich people in Palm Beach. And they're ripping them to shreds. And the media is ripping the police to shreds as well. And then you see that someone has been arrested, but it's your family member. So your family name is now going to be dragged through the mud without doubt for a while. That news report that almost gave Kitty Kane, Kim Kane's mom, a heart attack, probably one just like this. Cult to decipher palm print taken from inside the shower where Fusillo's body was found. It matched Kim Kane. When they, when they originally lifted it, it was not readable. And through their scientific uh, methods that they employ, they were able to enhance the image to where it became legible. Uh, that, that was the clincher. But there is still one major unanswered question tonight, and that is, why would a man without a violent history suddenly turn to murdering a defenseless woman while robbing her house? Palm Beach police say there is only one person with the answer to that question. And tonight, Kim Kane is not talking. Yeah, he's not talking to the police at that point. But as you know already, he was very upfront with the police. They, because he worked for Tillman Exterminating, the exterminating company that had a contract with Geraldine Pachillo, uh, because he worked there, he was on the radar and was asked questions and he went in and freely talked to them and, and took all these phony tests like these voice stress analyzers that we've discussed. He gave handprints. He he went with them through the whole thing. And even though at moments where he said, look, do I need an attorney for this, would still be willing to give them all the information because, as he said from the very beginning of this case to current day, I didn't do this. Never was there a moment through this timeline where Kim Kane buckled and said, all right, fine, it was me, cut me some kind of deal. No, he has always maintained his innocence. He has always said that he was not at Geraldine Puccillo's house. He's argued, I went there one or two times at the very beginning of the year. Why would I wait five, six months to go back to this woman's house to steal a bracelet when I go into nicer homes where people have much nicer stuff every single day of the week. Why would I Why would I go back to this place? It just doesn't add up. It doesn't make any sense. So uh, as uh, Michael Pacillo calls 911 and the police arrive on the scene and the investigation begins with this police department that has very, very little experience with a murder, much less even a, a you know murder of this degree that's getting all this media attention. They dealt with skateboarders. They dealt with people who were trespassing on the island of Palm Beach. Not a serious, real-deal case. So they were definitely out of their depth. Uh, they begin the investigation, rope off the scene. They start breaking about every rule you possibly can of keeping a crime scene secure, including everybody should be logged in, everybody should have the booties on their feet so that they don't leave tracks in the house. You want to preserve evidence, not bring new evidence in to confuse people. That's what happened. They were traipsing around through the blood and leaving bloody boot prints possibly on the scene as they did that. But they did do a good job of going around the neighborhood. They canvassed the neighborhood and went to all the people who lived around Geraldine Puccillo up and down Sea Spray Avenue and the next couple of streets. These people, they're mostly older. They're mostly very aware of the security of their house. 
And so when something happens in one of these neighborhoods, everybody knows. Everybody knows what's happening. And everybody pays attention. Whose car is that? How, why has that been there so long? What's happening? Why is this guy coming up to my door? They're very focused on that. So what did the neighbors see? Did they see Kim King, a man in his 30s? He was six foot five, 250 pounds. He's a big guy. They're going to notice him coming through a neighborhood. Did they see one of Kim Kane's vehicles, which would have either been his Tillman exterminating truck, which has big letters on the side and the phone number and everything they could do to advertise the company, or his personal vehicle, a maroon Zuzu Rodeo? No. Nobody. None of the neighbors saw either one of those vehicles. None of the neighbors saw anybody who looked like Kim Kane. They did see a lot of people, a lot of suspicious people, and a lot of odd stories that we'll get to in part five of Millionaire Murder. But nobody, nobody saw anyone that looked like Kim Kane in broad daylight on a street where these people are just kind of looking out the window, watching around, seeing what's happening in their neighborhood. Nobody heard anything. Nobody saw Kim Kane go into that house. Nobody saw his vehicle in the neighborhood. Of all of these people that had sightings, not a single thing led you to Kim Kane. Uh, and all the other cars that were seen had absolutely nothing to do with him. But there were some things that led to the arrest that you heard about. There were two things that were what amounted to the evidence against Kim Kane in this case. Two things. That's it. And none of them were blood or DNA or any real physical evidence except for one partial palm print. Now, consider this. There's a man behind bars for the rest of his life. There is one partial palm print in Geraldine Puccillo's shower. It's about the size of a quarter, and they say that it matches up to Kim Kane. But let me bring you back real quick to that news report that I played in the aftermath uh, aftermath of this arrest and, and what they said about the palm print even that early on. It's called to decipher palm print taken from inside the shower where Fusillo's body was found. It matched Kim Kane. When they, when they originally lifted it, it was not readable. And through their scientific uh, methods that they employ, they were able to enhance the image to where it became legible. Uh, that, that was the clincher. That was a clincher. They were able to enhance this. Originally, they weren't able to even read this palm print, this partial palm print. But eventually, with all the technology that 1996 offered, they were able to make it a usable print. That's why one of the things I'm very interested in is a modern-day recheck of Kim's palm versus this partial palm print with modern-day technology. Does that 50% of the evidence against him even match up with modern technology? Maybe it does. Maybe it does. But if it doesn't, that sure does change absolutely everything in this case. So the, the partial palm print itself, you can see photos of this at millionairemurder.com, was on the ledge of the shower where Geraldine Puccillo was found dead. That's it. There were no fingerprints on the walls of the shower. There were no fingerprints on the shower head, not from Kim Kane. There were other fingerprints all throughout the house from dozens of people. Michael Puccillo, a guy who said he barely ever went over there, how are his fingerprints in the shower? That's a big question because that's 
a truth than actually occurred in this case. But there's only that one partial palm print of Kim King. Nothing else in the bathroom. Nothing else in Geraldine Puccillo's room. Nothing on the phone cord that was tied around her arms that had her uh, behind her back when she was found dead. Nothing in the kitchen. Nothing on the doorknob. Nothing. One in the entire house, and they searched and searched and searched. And even when they found that one, they had to do everything they could to, oh, magically make that a print that they could use to match Kim Kane, the size of a quarter. Now, if it is Kim Kane's uh, palm print, you'll ask, why is it there? Doesn't that prove he's the murderer? Well, Kim Kane did service Geraldine Puccillo's house in January of the year that she died. Remember, this happened in June. The murder did. Way back in January, he did service this house. One day he came over, and for a short period of time, he walked the outside of her house to make sure that everything was secure and that uh, she maybe needed some extermination work. It was what they called a yearly. So he didn't have keys or anything, but it was just a yearly that they would do on Geraldine Puccillo's house to make sure everything was on the up and up. The, the next time he came back, Kim Kane went inside Geraldine Puccillo's house, and he searched all around high and low to make sure she was safe and uh, make sure that uh, the, the, uh, the house was secure of any kind of pests or bugs or whatever. And he made his way into that bathroom. This is a guy with greasy hands. He's working all day. You know, he's, he's filthy from digging through the inside of this house already. And he leans over. In the photographs that you'll see of Geraldine Puccillo's shower area, you'll notice that there's some damage where wood is exposed inside the shower. Water, wood, that's a recipe for disaster in an exterminator's world. So Kim Kane noted that he had made his way uh, into this area and he had inspected the inside of the shower. That would explain why, even months later, his partial palm print might have been there, if that was even the case. Do we know that it is? I don't know. We would have to look into this much more. But that would be the explanation for why it could have been there. So you ask yourself, a, a, a palm print or a fingerprint five, six months after somebody had visited? How is that even possible? Well, just like everything else in this case, I have to try to be an instant expert on all these different topics. And I didn't know what latent fingerprints were or latent palm prints. I didn't know how this was done. So I reach out to uh, somebody that I, I know that does, that uh, is an expert in this and that works in it every day. Add him into the studio here. We even did an experiment in my own bathroom in the studio where we record Millionaire Murder. It started off a little odd, I guess. Here we go. All right, and just get nice and close to that. Um, so, uh, can you go by your first and last name? Oh uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, Tommy Hemphill. Okay. Hang on. Why How's that work? It just sounds a little low to me. I don't know why. Keep talking. So you're, you're Tommy Hill? Test, test. I'm Tommy Hemphill. Okay, perfect. Test, test, All right. You're Tommy Hemphill. And where do you work? I work at the, uh, Orange County Medical Examiner's Office. I'm a forensic autopsy technician. Tommy taught me a lot about fingerprints, latent fingerprints, and how you go about testing for this stuff. And since this happened in Geraldine Puccillo's shower, I said, well, why not try it out in my bathroom? Turns out, though the experiment taught me a lot, it was a giant mistake. So you kind of take, like, this is more like a kind of a makeup brush. It's big. And this I is us trying it, it out. It'll make a mess. So when I see, um, like, I have a bunch of crime scene photos. When I see the photos and there's all that sort of graphite-looking stuff, yeah. 
that it is messy looking. Well, it's that's still it. it's still powder. This is like gran- granular powder. Uh huh. You know, kind of like not really charcoal, but you kind of you powder the scene. You don't want to spray the scene because then you smudge the stuff. Because you could actually do damage to the yes, print. Yeah, you can. Now, how how old was this case that that they did? Uh, it's old. This this case was from 1996. 96. Okay. Now, technology's obviously come a long way. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere. Even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. I talked to Tommy about fingerprints and palm prints a couple of months ago now. I'm pretty sure I still have in the studio bathroom a bunch of fingerprint powder everywhere. It was a giant mess, and I now understand. A lot about how this works, how long it lasts, and in fact, how long your palm prints can last. I did some additional testing where I just leaned up against, with my palm, one of the tiles in the shower. And I said, with the bathing and showering and stuff going on in this bathroom, how long will it last? Well, turns out, months. It'll stick around. It'll stay there, depending on how strong of a palm print this is and how much use or traction the area actually gets where it is. We continued with our experiment, making a mess, but learning a lot. And all you need is just regular lighting to be able to see this kind of stuff, right? Yeah, well, um, now, if you have a print, like, actually, go ahead and, uh, like, put a palm print on it. It's just down here? Yeah, just kind of put a print down there. Are your hands kind of a little wet? Yeah, I guess so. I don't know. Maybe. We'll see. Because <laughs> so- sometimes, like, if you're on a dry surface and the hand's kind of dry, uh-huh. Then, like, you can kind of breathe on it. You get moisture, something like that, that'll kind of make it a little bit wet. And then when you put the powder on, the powder kind of sticks to it. Okay, so sweat would be a big one. So, yeah, sweat would be good. i say if the hand was dirty, that's good. If you just cleaned your hands, you know how it kind of feels dry Uh right off the bat? Because all the oil just came off. You see, that was a moment where I realized something. I'd always thought that your fingerprints or your palm prints or whatever could just be easily, very easily wiped away and then they disappear. But it turns out with a little bit of sweat, a little bit of grease that a working man might have around an area like this, it can stay for a very long time. In fact, talking to Tommy back in the studio at this point, he compared fingerprints to paint in a way. Yes, definitely. Uh, When a fingerprint's wet, then it can smear but if it hasn't been touched after it's been put on there, mm-hmm. then it kind of dries like paint. Yeah. And paint will kind of stay in that, in that, uh, the, the way it is for a certain amount of time until it kind of wears a little bit. You know, over time, it'll kind of wear down just like paint does. It doesn't last forever. For months and months and months, even, it could last in this area, say from the January visit. Where a sweaty, dirty Kim Kane went through the house, looked over at this area that was questionable inside the shower, pushed down with his weight, a man who's 6'5", 250 pounds, and left a very significant palm print. Probably one of the best you could possibly live considering, or leave the, considering the size of this guy and the activity that he was engaged in in that day. And then you have a maid who testified, and when we get to the court portion of this case, we'll get further into this, that she she testified a couple of different things, but in the end, that she cleaned this, that she kept it nice and clean. 
Uh, she was a small, uh, fragile woman, I would say, who I don't even know would be able to, to do this and, and get down into the grime of things to remove something if it was very solidly in place. She says that she kept that area clean. I want you to look through the photos on millionairemurder.com and tell me if you think that's an area that looks like it was always kept up and kept clean. The house doesn't look like anything crazy happened. It doesn't look like there was a murder that took place there, but it doesn't look like the cleanest place either. It looks like a place that might be cleaned every once in a while and a place where you could probably overlook some kind of smudge or mess for a couple of months in the darker bathroom and shower area of the house. However, the defense was already starting to, uh, I'm sorry, the prosecution was already starting to put together their case against Kim Kane. But Mark Shiner, who was the state attorney at the time, the man who helped put Kim Kane away for the rest of his life, he tried to become an expert very quickly on Prince as well. I didn't understand. This is going back to that documentary, City Confidential, the special on the Geraldine Puccillo case that was pretty terrible. He didn't seem to understand much of anything about fingerprints. Listen to this portion. This really stuck out to me when I was watching the City Confidential episode about this case. Fingerprints can last for years. They can even last underwater. You'd be surprised how long they last. There's all kinds of conditions that would change it, the weather, the humidity, someone cleaned it. Uh, but you're talking in a shower. You're talking where there's high humidity, where there's water hitting it. You're talking about a lady who had a house cleaner. All right, let's go back there. Just I want you to listen to that. Fingerprints can last forever or, or for months or years, he said. And he said, underwater and this and that. But you're talking a place where they're talking about a place where there is water. You're talking about a place where there's conduit. You just said they can last for months or years in water. And then he said, but you're talking about a place where there's water. I'll play it again. Fingerprints can last for years. They can even last underwater. You'd be surprised how long they last. There's all kinds of conditions that would change it. The weather, the humidity, someone cleaned it. Uh, but you're talking in a shower. You're talking where there's high humidity, where there's water what? hitting it. You're talking about a lady who had a house cleaner. It was extremely conscientious of her job. This woman's house was spotless. So that was it. They found this partial palm print. At first, it was unusable. Then, presto, uh, the magic makes it usable. And we compare this palm print the size of a quarter to Kim Kane's to match things up. Mind you, there are many, many other people's fingerprints and palm prints across this house, including Geraldine Puccillo's son, who's been acting weird through all this. And his fingerprints, I believe, were on the shower head or on the walls of the shower. The guy who, again, said he didn't go over there all that much. But they didn't have all the information that they needed because when they were doing the investigation into the palm print, there was some of the folks who were doing this work that didn't see a match. They couldn't figure it out. Finally, one guy goes when the pressure is on to get an arrest. Yeah, 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 I see a match. And they tell him, get on a plane, go to Boston, and get this verified by the FBI. Get on a plane today. If you don't, you're out of a job in the next couple of days. They wanted an arrest in this case. The media was mocking them. The public was upset that a murderer was on the loose, and they ran this down the, the pipeline as quickly as they could and got back the answer that they wanted. That palm print does not make Kim Kane a murderer. It does not make, even if it was his palm print, Kim Kane the person who killed Geraldine Puccillo on June 13, 1996.
So the other piece of this puzzle that was uh, a pretty big deal was the missing bracelet. And there was a lot of jewelry on Geraldine Puccillo herself, on her hand. You can see in the photos on MillionaireMurder.com. That wasn't stolen. Jewelry and valuables throughout the house. If this guy was going to target this person, come back five to six months later, and rob the house and kill her, why in the name of God would he not just clear the place out? He, he takes one bracelet or a couple of small items, leaves the things that were on Geraldine Puccillo's hand with diamonds and gold and certainly value that that person who was robbing this place would be looking for. It's almost like somebody just stole a couple of pieces to stage this so it looked like a robbery. But the bracelet itself, the story on this is you had a couple of pawn shop owners who were familiar with Kim Kane. He did pawn stuff from time to time. He pawned stuff so he could have some money to go to the dog track and do other things, go to baseball games, do things with his family. But it was so consistent, so consistent. He would go and pawn his fishing gear or pawn some other things that he had. He would leave them in there for 10, 20 days, go back when he got paid, and get his stuff back. Then when he needed more money, he would pawn those very same items. He used that as a form of credit. A lot of people do that with pawn shops. He went to pawn shops, but that traditionally was what he was doing there. So one of these owners of the pawn shop, a guy named Buzzy, he says to police, yeah, I've seen that bracelet. This guy, Kim Kane, is the one who brought it in, and he didn't want me to write up a slip. And Buzzy's a pretty slimy character when you look into him through this story. He ended up splitting the big reward in this case, all the money, with Eric Miles Newton, who you heard on part three of Millionaire Murder. So he ended up getting some cash out of this himself. I'm sure he was happy about that. Kim Kane says, yeah, I went into these places, but I've never done that. And uh, some other people said, yeah, we, he might have come into our pawn shop. There is a video camera. In the 90s, this was no different. In every single pawn shop in the country, there is a process that they have of filling slips out. You give this slip, you do this, you file this with the police. There is zero video footage that Kim Kane went in and tried to pawn this bracelet anywhere. The bracelet that they did find, that they said was Geraldine Puccillo's, was pawned by Eric Miles Newton. They said that's the same bracelet. The family said, yes, yes, that's it, though they couldn't say 100% that it was. And that connection was their other piece of evidence. Even if it was, I'll go back to that. Having that bracelet does not make Kim Kane a murderer. It doesn't mean that he did any of this. But that is uh, uh, not even to admit that this is the same bracelet or how this whole thing happened. Some of the twists and turns on this you are not going to believe. But I wanted to know more about jewelry, just like I wanted to know more about fingerprints. I called a lady named Jewelry. Um, I'm sorry. I called a lady named Judy. I guess she's synonymous with jewelry in many ways now in my head because she works for JewelryExperts.com. And Judy told me all about how this stuff works. She was incredibly nice to talk to. Hi, is this Judy? It is. Hi, thank you so much. It's Sean. We've, we've been talking back and forth, and uh, I'm all ready to go if you're willing to talk. Yep. Yeah, uh, okay, excellent. So let's just get right into this. This won't take very long at all. She was incredibly helpful and explained to me a lot of things that I didn't really think about or didn't know. So if you go to the pawn shop or the jewelry store or department store where they sell jewelry, 
Sometimes you think, oh, I'm going to get this, this piece, this one-of-a-kind special piece for my loved one. But that's not the case. This stuff is mass-produced. That bracelet you might have around your wrist or the necklace you're wearing or, or the rings even, there's thousands and thousands of other people. And over years, tens and even hundreds of thousands of people who have that very same piece of jewelry. Yes, most, most jewelry stores carry mass-produced jewelry. They uh, cater to a larger percentage of the population that are more price-conscious. And when you're working with mass-produced jewelry, the, the price is lower because of the cost of labor being defrayed over a number of pieces. So, yes, most jewelry stores carry jewelry that is manufactured on a larger scale with less labor. Now, if you go to MillionaireMurder.com, one of the things you can see in the photos is a photograph of the bracelet itself and then some photos that are supposed to be Geraldine Puccillo wearing the same bracelet. We don't know when the last time she saw this bracelet was. We don't know when that bracelet went missing. We don't know so many different things about this bracelet itself. What we do know is that's a pretty common bracelet. It's called Cuban Link. Or, I guess, learning from talking to Judy, uh, some people call it a curb link uh, bracelet as well. Well, the more generic name is curb link. And, yes, there are some companies and vendors that will call that a Cuban link. But, in general, it's usually called a curb link, which is spelled C-U-R-B. And it is a very common style of link, especially for a heavyweight man's bracelet. Mm-hmm. So when you look at this, do you think you see a man's bracelet? To me, it looked like a man's bracelet because of the size. Yeah, just when you look at a larger piece of jewelry, a heavier piece of jewelry, generally that was created for the male market, right? Generally, um, because you know, generally men have a larger frame. Not always, but generally men have a larger frame so they can carry something that is heavier weight. A woman typically would not want to wear something that heavy. So she did, for some reason, Geraldine Puccillo, want to wear this heavier bracelet that some would consider more of a man's bracelet, supposedly made in Italy. And the company that makes it in Italy has been making it for decades and decades and decades and exporting it to the United States and jewelry stores all over for decades and decades, you get the point, right? And the other thing was, you might look at these bracelets, and Judy's probably going to look at them a bit closer than you, being an expert on this stuff. And when she looked, she said, there's nothing distinct about this. There's nothing that makes you believe that these are both the same bracelet to begin with. There's nothing distinct about the bracelets in question. I did not see anything in the photos you sent me that would make it seem distinctive or unique. The only thing that would make it, I suppose, unique is a hallmark from a specific manufacturer, but I was not able to see a hallmark that I could discern. And she sees the same photos you do. There's various angles and every way, which way you could think about looking at a bracelet you can do at Millionaire Murder. But the big question is, what if you wanted to find this same exact bracelet, this Cuban link or curb link bracelet? Would you be able to, with ease, just go right now around your neighborhood, hit a couple of jewelry stores, hit a couple of pawn shops, and find one exactly like this? Meaning there's a bunch out there. And that this is incredibly circumstantial. The evidence that were presented here. 
uh, just because these bracelets look the same, just because there's a partial palm print, we've got a guy who committed this murder. Let's put him behind bars for the rest of his life. How hard would it be to find another one exactly like this? Now, let's say, I don't know if you do this or not. Do you ever do anything where people come to you and they say, hey, Judy, you know, you're the, the jewelry expert. I want a bracelet like this. Can you, can you locate this type of jewelry for me? Is that something you've ever done? Yes. I, when, when somebody comes to you like that, let's say they came to you with this bracelet. How would you register it? Would you say that this is an easy task, medium, or difficult task to find a bracelet just like the one in the photos? And somebody who wanted to find one, uh, let's, I'm in the state of Florida. You wanted to go find one in the state of Florida. You hit enough jewelry shops in the day. You, you're probably bound to find something like this. Yes, a consumer could go to a number of stores and probably find something like that. Probably find something like this bracelet. Something that this non-distinct bracelet, something that looks exactly like it, where you wouldn't be able to tell, hey, this is the same exact one. And if you look into the police report, which I want you to make your homework if you want to help me with crowdsourcing this case, go to MillionaireMurder.com and you can read through the Palm Beach Police Department's entire investigation into the death of Geraldine Puccillo. You're going to learn maybe ahead of time some of the, uh, the things that we're going to discuss on part five, being the alternate suspects and some really interesting things. But do that because you'll find out a couple of things. I think the first thing that you'll discover is that there's nothing else. I'm not hiding anything from you. That's it. Partial palm print, bracelet that maybe is the same one, and a family that in those police reports said, mom didn't really care much about jewelry. She didn't really care. And if she did get robbed, this is almost word for word in the police report. If she did get robbed, her very good friend, Aggie Atterbury, that we heard from previously, said, She'd just give whatever it was up. She didn't care. She was trying to get rid of her possessions and simplify her life to begin with. That's it. That's it. A partial palm print and a bracelet that is a very common, non-distinct bracelet. That's what makes up the evidence that led to Kim Kane going to jail for the rest of his life for the murder of Geraldine Puccillo. No eyewitnesses. Nobody saw the truck. Nobody saw Kim Kane. In fact, One of the police descriptions uh, given by a neighbor led to a sketch. The person was 5'6 or so, Hispanic, with a little Spanish thin mustache on top of their lip. Couldn't have looked further from Kim Kane's description. It really just was absolutely and totally uh, something where nobody saw Kim Kane at this place. Nobody saw him in the, the past five or six months at this place. So timeline is going to be very important as we proceed from here. And we'll address minute by minute, basically, where everything was, where each key player was, including where was Michael Puccillo in all of this? He had just flown back from New York, and he got it about 3 a.m. But the timing of him getting into work, an interesting thing on a Rolodex, and then... Maybe one of the most interesting twists in this case that I think is going to throw you back a bit when you hear this. Information that wasn't previously shared outside the courtroom, and even in the courtroom, wasn't talked about all that much, that may blow your mind on this case. Delve the informant. Prostitution. 
all kinds of very bizarre things happening within the police department and another theory entirely on exactly who killed Geraldine Puchilla. The twists and turns are certainly arriving in part five of Millionaire Murder. Follow along now at MillionaireMurder.com. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.